Okay, Brad. Hi, welcome, George. Welcome back to another interesting episode of uh, Clean Oceans. I see you've got your Greek fishing sh- fisherman shirt. I on. have the Mykonos look happening because yeah. it's it is an ocean theme. You know, horizontal stripes aren't good for the bigger guy. <laughs> they should have been vertical. Vertical stripes, right. always vertical, never horizontal because it makes you look wider. Just is, a tip. Is that for how me. I'm appearing to you? No, no. But I'm just saying that vertical's not good for the bigger fellow. <laughs> right. Speaking of someone vertical, so a, a bit of tall timber. Uh, today we have There's a. There's Tim there. Yes, I can well, see him in the window. That's who we have on today, Tim. Tim Silverwood. CEO at Take Three for the Sea. Now, Tim's a campaigner, been a, uh, a vigorous and vociferous campaigner against... Vociferous. Oh, no, don't tell me. What What does that mean? Vociferous, loud you always, you always, I, I'm sure you go home or before we come in, look up a couple of words that you can sneak in. That's right. Because usually you only know F. Words and C words and that sort of stuff. Secretly, I run spelling bees at home right. for my kids, but but nonetheless, and 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 I do love reading the Oxford Dictionary. Right, yeah. but let's let's not go there. This is about Tim Silverwood. Now, Tim has been a campaigner against the use of plastic for some time, and he actually caught my eye on a documentary series called. War on waste. Is that because he's a good looking sort he's of chap? He's a slick looking. He caught your yeah, eye. Yeah, he's, he's, he's made of silver. He's slick. He's made of silver. I thought he was a plastic man. It, well, he's he's very, very polished and he's a, he's a great public speaker and he, okay. and he does the rounds. Um, you know, he's campaign. been on TED Talk, I've he noticed. Has, he has. He, and, he, and he presents himself to schools and every any forum that's prepared to listen to him about what we can do to change our habits of uh, using plastic and, and just disposing it, uh, of it in the bin and how we can be a little bit smarter. Okay, well, let's, um, let's go out and greet him and get him in the studio let's and we'll do have that. a chat. After all of this time, after all of these seasons, and your own decision to go to the water for reasons, it's only the ocean and you After all of these lines We'll all be a racer Out with the tide And they come back with the waves so It's only the ocean and you Welcome to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. In the studio today we have Tim Silverwood. Hi Tim. Hi Tim. Hello, nice to be here. Was that a good intro, George? Because normally you do that sort of stuff. It was lame. 
It was, was lame. It was a, it, what did you think, What, what do you think? I mean, we, we normally have whiz-bangs and flares going off when uh, guests walk into the studio when I'm running the show, but this time I handed it over to him. That's what you Look, get. Look, um, it, it could have been better, but um, I think we can just run with it. Okay. Look, I'll try to. No, no, no. I'm doing it again. In the studio today we have Tim Silverwood. Welcome, Hi, Tim. Tim. Oh, thanks. That was uh, a lovely introduction. <laughs> very, very happy to be here. It's a big improvement on the last, last go. <laughs> Tim, Tim, we, um, why did we bring you here, Tim? Tell oh, us why. I don't know. I guess there's a big problem facing our planet and our oceans and it comes from the, in the form of plastic. So I think we're going to have a bit of a powwow around plastic, aren't we? We are Our indeed. oceans. Before plastics or before you got on the road in what year was it you were you start, sort of started? We started Take 3 for the Sea in 2009 but, I mean, my story goes back uh, into the depths, you know, it was just since being a young person and okay. being interested in our oceans and in conservation and studying that stuff and, yeah, here we are in 2018 and finally my, my purpose feels like it's being a bit more realised. So did you grow up in Sydney? I grew up on the central coast of New South Wales, yep. beautiful part of the world called Arimba. In the bush, yeah, I know. and uh, yeah. Yeah, the bush on one side, and you're only ten minutes from the beach, and so it really was the the best of both worlds. Um, and yeah, spent my young years exploring that landscape, really feeling like uh, nature was something so special, so worth protecting. And so mm. that really helped to feed into my passion for sustainability, which I ended up studying and working in the nonprofit space for for most of my life. Wow! But what made you what made you twig? to that desire? I think it was um, just even being in the bush as a young man, realising that I was part of something so much bigger than me. Um, and I don't know, most of it comes down from my family as well. Like my mother's been a really strong influence on me and, and it's just, um, yeah, this realisation that what we've got is really so, so special but all around you, you, you hear the news or you see the impact of, of humans causing harm and I've always just thought we could do much better than what we're currently doing. So you're not like a lot of people, like a, they talk the talk. You've actually really put your boots on and walk in the walk. Yeah, it just felt like a, a really great opportunity for me to, and we get such a short stint at life, don't we? It really isn't that long in the whole scheme of things. And so mm. from all my studies, it looked at the evolution of the environmental movement and really looking at those pinnacle moments where people have come together to say we can create a change, we can do things better. And so as soon as I saw these issues that weren't really being spoken about, I thought, well, I could probably bring a bit of attention to these issues and maybe make a difference, not really knowing exactly where it was going to go, mm. but certainly that it felt pretty good to go and get started. Now, mm. I imagine since you started you've articulated a vision for yourself. What would that be? Look, um, it never really come down to a structured, solid plan. It was, like I said, initially when we started Take 3 in 2009, it didn't really feel like anyone was talking about the impact of plastic on our oceans in the way it needed to be spoken about. You had Clean Up Australia Day, which is phenomenal. It gets people out cleaning up our, our special places. You have Keep Australia Beautiful and Do the Right Thing. They were really mostly talking about keeping our planet beautiful. What I was seeing was the birds with the stomachs full of plastic or the turtles and whales suffocating on the stuff. And I was thinking, well, hang on, every piece of plastic out there in the environment is causing this harm. And that's the connection I wanted to create. I wanted to make people realise that 
there's this collateral damage from just our behaviour on land and that's a really big challenge when you think about it because we just are, we, we're called consumers, right? Mm-hmm. We just go out there and we consume and we don't really, we're not trained to think about the unintended consequences of that consumption. I look at those and think they need to be a bit more revealed. We need to be a bit more conscious about our consumption, the impacts of it. One of the, one of the things that I, um, I become a little bit disheartened about is um, the increasing use of plastic packaging. You, you can't walk through the fruit and veg section of a supermarket now without every bloody piece of fruit and veg being wrapped in some kind of plastic. You know, there's no bulk shopping allowed anymore. And that just seems to be increasing when in actual fact the movement should be the opposite to that. I mean, what kind of thing? I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's really frightening. One of the things I often talk about in my presentations, I show the graph of the um, the growth in the plastics industry. So you can see it's almost minuscule around the 1940s and 1950s and then right through the 60s and 70s and 80s, 90s. It's just tracking exponentially. and. Mm it's still heading that way. We're actually doing nothing to curb the consumption of virgin plastic materials. And so that is really quite alarming. I think it's sort of um, similar to the way we look at other sort of fossil fuel um, industries. So we need to find that way of, of curbing it. On the supermarket front, there is some supermarkets around the world now that are creating plastic-free aisles. So based on consumer demand, people are saying, I want my plastic-free produce and I want to be able to go and shop without plastic. That needs to see a radical increase and obviously not just in our advanced developer economies but all across the developing world as well, which is where it's the kind of front line when it comes to this issue is developing Mm. regions that have pretty poor waste management Mm. Um, and as we say, the ocean is downhill from everywhere so that's where a lot of this stuff is coming from. You know, I used to... um I was a naturopath and I used to go to a health food store in Hall Street up here in Bondi and I used to like it because you could get a paper bag and put your produce in the paper bag. But even health food stores now, you would think if anybody's going to be doing something about it, it would be a health food store. But you go to health food stores or even the organic ones and they've got tonnes of plastic. And I think, like you say, the problem to me is that uh, there's lots of people out there wanting to do stuff but people don't know how to do it and it's guys like you that are out there telling, you know, helping people to understand that. How do we speed that up so that we get that curve going back down the hill? Yeah, indeed. And there is, there is a huge disconnect there between the health and well-being sort of sector mm. and the environment sector when it comes to plastic and waste. I mean, I see the little toddlers sucking on organic yogurt out of those little squidgy pouches and I'm sitting there thinking they're sucking on plastic from this what's supposed to be organic and it just seems such a a, a parallel universe to to where it really should be. But I think what I'm enthused by and buoyed by is that where you do see these little subcultures emerging with people that are really getting behind these issues, change can happen really quite quickly. Mm. Just thinking about last year when we had the War on Waste series here in Australia and it's just given everyone this like a new normal. We mm. sort of are looking at this issue with different goggles on and I think that that's going to be what's going to create the really exciting change. You've been out on the oceans. You've been around. What's the worst thing that you've seen? The worst thing I've seen, I mean, Camilo Beach in Hawaii is probably the most shocking place to go and see plastic pollution. That's the 
beach on the southeast corner of the big island of Hawaii and it's had a very long history for the uh, ancient Hawaiians. They used to go there if there was ever a an incident with um, a vessel being lost or a body that they wanted to try and find, they'd go to this beach because the ocean currents would just bring <coughs> most of the flotsam and jetsam there. Mm. But you go there now and every piece of plastic just tells a story of this journey it's been upon in our oceans, like decades. It's been swirling around and here you are in this pristine corner of the planet and there it all is. So that's definitely pretty heartbreaking. But then otherwise it's sort of seeing things like travelling around developing nations and just really poor waste management. I remember I was once snowboarding in in India of all places, up in Kashmir in the Himalaya, mm. and all the waste that was being collected in that village was just dumped over the side of the mountain. And the thing for me there was my waste was in there. Even though I'd put it in the bin as I was encouraged to do, the fact was my consumption was causing harm on the environment and that was like, I've got to do something. It, it's one of those... One of those things I marvel at as well because I travelled I traveled around to a lot of developing nations and um, once upon a time they were just as wasteful as they are t- today but once, it, once upon a time it used to be all organic material and it didn't cause a problem. There might, may have been an initial problem but eventually it disappeared but now it's just accumulating and accumulating and I saw mounds of plastic in the streets of Calcutta that will be there for thousands of years and no one's doing anything about it. And I don't understand how human beings can live amongst all that and not notice that there's a problem. Yeah, it's really, really surprising, isn't it? That's so true that um, the organic materials have all been replaced by plastic. I remember having experiences similarly in India where there was cows, holy worshipped cows eating plastic bags and it Mm. just wasn't really seeming apparent that this was a problem. And there's actually now I've seen a documentary called plastic cow and it shows this woman, she performs live surgery on cows and she pulls out these masses of like 60 kilograms of plastic from these holy cows and I just think, mm. isn't that funny how disconnected we, we, we can become? But it has to come back down to education because mm. once educated, I'm sure we can make those changes but getting education to over a billion Indian people about this is not going to be easy. I think you said it earlier that... Um you know, education's one thing, but apathy and convenience is the worst. They're the they're the culprits here, aren't they? We're all, you know, it's convenience. You know, I, I saw this yesterday with, funnily enough, my daughter and almost myself, but I caught myself. I took her to tennis. She normally has a, a steel water bottle. She'd forgotten it. She was thirsty. I'm like, what am I going to do? I just couldn't bring myself to go to the fridge and buy a bottle of plastic water and I'm thinking, well, I can't put it in my hands. <laughs> and that's, but that's that convenience thing and apathy, mm. like making it a priority. And I think that we've become a world of convenience, like you say, and that, that's, that's where, you know, we've got to get out there and, and talk the talk and then walk the walk. Mm. So, Tim, what is it that you do? That's making a difference. Tell our listeners. I think it's just about being a communicator. I think the um, the thing, and we can all do that. You know, we think about calling someone an educator because they perform a certain function, but mm. we're all doing that just by being interested in this issue, by maybe making some decisions that are counter convenience, like saying, "Oh, well, I could do the convenient thing, but I could also just try a little bit harder and." maybe then verbalise and talk about those experiences. It doesn't take that much to educate and inspire people. So I think Mm. if I can set a precedent there, an example of how 
how you can communicate, then the ramifications are going to come. So mm. it's it's really quite simple at the end of the day. <laughs> and well, how do you how do you, how do you afford to do this? Like, is is it your full time <laughs> profession? Is it like? Yeah. I mean, it costs money yes, to do yeah, this yeah, stuff. A sugar mama. It costs money to. Um, it just costs money to exist. Obviously, I mean, yeah. look at where we live in Australia. It's mm. um, it's a very expensive um, society that we we live mm. in. But look, I just made the decision. Really, back in two thousand eleven was the most profound. So, going back about seven years ago, I just said, you know what, I'm 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 done just doing what other people sort of telling me to do or want me to do. Mm. I really want to do this. I feel that fire in my belly. I'm just going to give it a crack. Like I said before, we've only got a short stint on this planet, so mm. don't waste time. Just get out there and do it. And it's been hard. I've had to rely mm. a lot on support. I've had to live a very sort of unorthodox, unconventional life in, in order to allow me to do this. But the satisfaction that I've felt with each little evolutionary step has totally over outweighed the the hard bits. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, tell me, uh, tell me, Tim, if I was to rock up on your doorstep, tell me what, what I would find in your house. Tell, walk me through the kind of things that you're living. Oh, gosh, um, a lot of secondhand stuff, put it that way. <laughs> um, yeah, we, my wife and I, we really don't like to consume new things. We really like to champion this idea of being a conscious consumer. I'm not saying that means that we're perfect. It's just about... Where possible, where we've got the capacity, we always try and have a little bit of a think about the backstory of what we're buying. So whether that's food, we want to sort of know where it's come from. We want to know the sort of transportation. We'd like to know what it means for us. Um, With other items, it's just about thinking, well, if that one has that impact but there's another option out there which has a less impact, then I'd like to do that and if I'd like to purchase into that. So it's about buying with your wallet. It's about voting with your your wallet really. Mm. And, in, and supporting what you feel is, is what is right for, for people and for the planet. It's not just about the environment. There's obviously huge social abuses attached to how we're consuming in this day and age. So try and be a little bit more conscious. Do you find it difficult, like, you know, to find fruit and veg or meat or, you know, is there, have you got your little go-tos now and, that, you know, that's it? But if you go away somewhere, do you have to go through that process again? Yeah, look, I've had various um, stints at being a bit more of a perfectionist when it comes to this, being quite fundamental, Mm. um, which is at the core of lots of campaigns out there now, like Plastic Free July and other ones where you can really try and focus hard on not touching plastic or using plastic for a duration. Mm. Look, they are good and they certainly suit people for certain periods in time, but it's not about being um, an absolute perfectionist here. But for me, certainly here in Bondi, I mean, we're down at the Bondi farmers markets every every morning. I just mm. love that. There's a bulk food store here now. We'll go down to the local uh, grocer and get what we need. We've we've found a way around doing this now, and it feels great. But obviously, that's mm. not that's not a luxury that everyone can have because no. sometimes no. you've got a big family. You live in regional Australia or somewhere else. There is no other option. So that's where we need to get that bigger change happening. And I guess for those people, it's about what they then do with that packaging and the plastic that's uh, that has an impact, I guess. What do they do? What, yeah. what, what's the best thing to well, do? Well, we've been given, sold the idea that recycling's everything, haven't we, which is sort of a bit of a furphy. I mm. think we've really got a lot of work to do to, to wind back on the, the messaging around, oh, it's okay, just pop it into a recycling bin and it's all good because mm. 
as we've seen recently, recycling is incredibly difficult. It's very challenging. And unless the economics stack up, then this stuff won't get recycled. Mm. So really looking at recycling 2.0, which is getting us much closer to this idea of a circular economy where we can get those materials that are in the stuff that we're buying back to go and get reprocessed and reproduced in a way that they don't lose that, uh, that value. It's, it's incredibly challenging, mm. but I think we need to really just demand for it. So at the moment, there's a bit of a pushback on recycling. People are feeling a bit disillusioned. That's not the feeling we want to have. We want to feel empowered. We want to see results that we can actually turn this into new stuff here in Australia without relying on global commodity markets. Well, there, was a, there was a little um, uh, segment on the War on Waste um, series where uh, one of the waste management people said that um, in Japan, for example, the Japanese have eight recycle bins where they separate everything assiduously, right? And Australians are not like that. We only have three at best. Um, There's a long way to go, isn't there? Because it's very difficult to separate all the contents that that go into three bins. It's a lot easier to separate well, the content's out of eight bins, but why is it that Australians are not really... Actually, it came across as if Australians were not capable of going making that leap from three bins to eight. Yeah, it goes back a little bit to Brett's kind of comments there about convenience. So the curbside collection that we have now is incredibly convenient. You throw all those mixed recyclables <coughs> into the same container and then <coughs> leave it up to the material recovery facilities to try and then sort it out. But looking at the Japanese way or the Scandinavians and Central uh, Europeans, they've got all those different bins in there and that means that you get a clean stream of materials to work with. So the Mm. price becomes higher. It's much easier to go and reprocess it. But we have seen a bit of an evolution here uh, recently in New South Wales with the container deposit scheme. So Mm. now that we have that 10 cent refund uh, coming in with the beverage containers, when you actually go and recycle those, They'll sort out the aluminium, they'll sort out the PET, they'll sort out all those different types of glass. So what you end up with is a bucket of the same stuff Mm. and that means someone can go, oh, I really want that stuff, I'm going to turn it into something else. It's easy, it's affordable and it's efficient. That's right. I mean it boggled my mind trying to work out how when I see the council collection truck come down the road and pick up those yellow littered bins and dump everything in the back and then press everything down – I couldn't work out how all this stuff could get separated. Like you've obviously been to depots and had a look at how it all works. Is it does it work? Look, does it, it really it does work? work. The technology is pretty phenomenal when you go into these MRFs, these material recovery facilities. So they use all sorts of technology to sort out the materials, but it does end up becoming a, a lower grade than if you could actually source separate it initially in the first place. So Technology is impressive. You definitely, if anyone gets a chance to go and check out one of these tours mm. of these facilities, you'll be quite surprised. But uh, it could certainly be so, so much better, particularly when it starts coming to things like e-waste and really complex materials there that we're just at the moment shipping them offshore or sending them to landfill when there's so much precious material inside these mm. devices. And mm. that's where I get excited about this circular economy because why can't we sort of force those manufacturers to say, well, we're going to have to use a portion of recycled content in our next incarnation of this technology and we're going to get that by bringing back our old objects and deconstructing them and reprocessing them. This is where like product stewardship and that corporate responsibility comes in. I mean, these companies, as we know, we get all their shareholder statements and we see how much money they're making, but 
the implications of that profit are that people are suffering and that the planet is suffering. So I really do feel strongly that we've got a lot more work to do around corporate responsibility as mm. we tackle these big, big global challenges. Without a doubt. I mean, Without that, a doubt. Th- that's, that's, a, that's been a, a movement that, that was seeded in, I think, California uh, a number of years ago, the, the three Ps to running a business, people, um, profit and planet, like, you know, being, being good to the planet. Not many companies really live by that uh, that saying. The three mm. Ps. You know, it's um, there are know. there are starting to be some companies that are shining through. I was listening to Warby Parker yesterday. There's swell water bottles. There's people out mm. there doing good stuff. We actually interviewed a guy from Western Australia, and he's created a plant, a recycling plant to recycle the plastic and turn it into beads for 3D printers that he then gives to schools so that they can make stuff out of the, the beads, which is fantastic. He's mm. sunk a lot of dough into it. and So there's people out there doing these things. I, I, I guess it's once again breaking through the apathy and the convenience factor. That, that's what I feel is mm. a real big disconnect for, the, for Australians. Which comes right back down to the power of communications and, and media. Um, mm. Just what, been watching what's happening in the UK at the moment after David Attenborough's Blue Planet 2 and it was one of the most watched programs ever in the UK. And so suddenly this very unassuming nation that doesn't necessarily have a strong attachment or association to protecting our oceans. I don't. When I think of the UK, I don't think of that. If I think of Australia, I do. Mm. But they're now sort of leading the charge on, on tackling plastic pollution and it's all come down from just very, very effective communications and media saturation. So with information, I think we can make decisions quite profoundly and quite quickly. Well, you've been out there on the road pushing, pushing blue. Um, what kind of feedback have you been getting from, from that? Yeah, so Blues is a uh, new documentary that you can you can actually watch it on online now. I think it's on iTunes and uh, other places. But it's just a, it's a story about ocean change. I think when we talk about climate change, and there's been a lot of challenges in in sort of conveying in a unified approach the immediacy of the need to change. And I think what Blue does it just packages it into a nice, concise, seventy minute film. Where yes, you are. It's a heavy, heavy hitting film. You see some things that you maybe don't want to see, but by watching them in a setting with other people who are passionate about it, you just feel the energy rise up. And that's what I get so inspired by. That's why I like getting out there and doing that very grassroots activism and just talking to Mm. people in a small setting because you just see the glint in people's eyes that, okay, we actually need to change and I'm I'm going to change and you're going to change and we're going to change together. Mm. And that's inspiring in light of obviously the fact that there's 7 billion people on our planet and a lot needs to change to save our oceans. So what's next for you, Tim? Look, Take 3 I think is um, onto a really good thing. We mm. didn't, when we started Take 3 in 2009, we just thought, great, what a wonderful way to get people in our community helping to keep our beaches clean. We had no real indication that it was um, going to be an important player in a big global issue at a large scale. So I think we owe it to Take 3 to really keep championing um, mm. the organisation. I think the fact it's so simple and so translatable, you just pick up a few items of, of plastic from a local area or a beach or a park and that's this declaration of intent that even though the problem seems so insurmountable, it's not going to make me paralysed. I'm going to do something. Mm. 
Um, so we're going to keep charging ahead with that one. But I think really the, the future is in that circular economy and really getting out there and helping to steer business to creating a big change because as people often said to me, the biggest change happens in the boardrooms, Tim. It's mm. not about, you know, what happens in civil society or even in politics. You've got to get the big boardroom decisions to, tr- to, take, to tackle this issue seriously. So how do people find you? What, what's the easiest way? Yeah, so obviously we're pretty um, present online. Look up Take 3 for the Sea. You'll find us on all the social channels and online. And um, mm. I'm obviously Tim Silverwood. Try and get your hands on, on Blue and um, just get involved in whatever way you can, really to that point of just remembering that anytime you share information, anytime you talk about it, you are becoming an educator, you are becoming a communicator, and that's what's going to help us get across the line. George, have you got any more? Well, yeah, I, just before we leave, um, so what would be your perfect world? Um, a perfect world, I think just the circular economy. I think we can have we can have economic growth. We can have all the things that we've built our successful societies upon, but we can understand that there's no real need to abuse people or the planet in the process of making a buck. So that's my, my final words. Aspirational. <laughs> yeah. Tim, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Spending some time with us too. Um, middle-aged blokes. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. There's a lot to watch out for in the ocean. Sharks, rays, riptides, jellyfish, unpredictable currents. You never know the ocean's mood. But here are some remedies for its dangers. When you get stung by a jellyfish, pee immediately on the sting. The uric acid will lessen the pain. Duct tape can fix anything. A ripped wetsuit, a ding board. And with a riptide, if you get caught, you have to swim like hell for the horizon. Other than that, it's pure magic. After all of this time, after all of these seasons, and your own decision to go to the water for reason, it's only the ocean and you. After all of these lines, we'll all be a race out with the tide, and they come back with the waves. It's only the ocean and you You don't want You don't wait You don't love No, you don't hate You just roll Over me 
this work is done When this coat is dry When this world's too much It will be Only the ocean me When these sails go up Mountains fade away Stars come out I'm finally free Now it's only the ocean me Cause you don't want I'm a